0: Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message.
1: Thank you. Good morning. Well, it is so good to be with you here today. Uh, I was so honored when Pastor Steve asked me to come and speak this morning. We've, uh, we've known each other for a long time. We met at school, became friends, um, uh, had the same major. So we had a lot of classes together, lived in the same dorm, and uh, did some internships together, which is really where we got to know each other well. And uh, I valued his friendship for a long time. So when he uh, called and said, would you be able to come and speak this morning? My answer was, absolutely, I would love to. And so here we are, and it is so good to be with you. Uh, You've been in a series called Who's Your Plus One? And uh, and, and this series is really all about relationships, uh, particularly how it is that relationships help us know who God is and what he's like. And uh, this morning we're going to talk about who's your plus one, who's your acquaintance. And I want to take, I actually want to take that word acquaintance and drill down a little bit deeper because an acquaintance is just someone you know could be someone you know well. could be someone you've met one time. all right? But um, uh, being an acquaintance doesn't necessarily mean that someone that, that you're an acquaintance with is going to significantly impact your life. Um, and so this morning, we're going we're to look at friendships, how we've been created for friendships, how friendships affect our relationship with God and why they matter so much. Uh, when I was in second grade, um, we, we, we lived in our house and a family moved in next door. And they also had a kid, uh, a, another boy who was in second grade named Seth. And Seth and I almost immediately became best friends. We, we had similar personalities, had the same sense of humor, had the same interests. And so really from the time he moved in, we became inseparable. And so, you know, after school every day, we would uh, come home, kind of throw our stuff in the house and immediately go outside and play whatever sport was in season right then. When it came to the weekends, one of us was always spending the night at the other one's house. Uh, We went on vacation with each other's families. We even created a secret language (laughs) so that we could talk about things and no one else would know what we were talking about. And, and so it ended up, we ended up going to Indiana Wesleyan together. We were roommates there. And so really all throughout my life up until like up through college, Seth and I were, were together. We were always together. And, and so what happened was after, after school, we moved to different places and life happens. And, and so we rarely see each other anymore. But when one of us picks up the phone and calls the other one, it's as if no time has passed. We're able to pick up the phone and, it's, and pick up right where we left off the last time we talked. And so when, when, what happens a lot of times is when you're talking with someone, um, you, you remember stories and you start telling stories. And so ineb- inevitably what happens is we'll just start laughing. Like we'll start telling these stories and just start laughing uncontrollably. And so it's gotten to the point where my wife knows I'm talking to Seth on the phone, even though she doesn't know I'm talking to Seth on the phone. Like, I'll end the call and she'll be like, you were talking to Seth, weren't you? And I was like, yeah, I was. But what, what happens is in these, in these friendships is that friendships make life better. When you have true friendships, life is more full. And that's in no small part due to the fact that you've been created to know and experience relationship with others and with God. And so we're going to look at just what kind of friendships actually point us to who God is and what he's like this morning. So uh, we're going to start in the beginning of the story this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Genesis chapter 2. And uh, where we're picking up the story this morning, God, out of love, creates. God, out of love, creates. He creates the heavens and the earth. He creates day and night, water and land, trees and plants, birds and animals. And then he saves the best for last in uh, in genesis chapter 2 verses 4 through 7 it says this this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created when the lord god made the earth and the heavens now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the lord god had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And so God creates Adam, and he creates him and us, by the way, in his image. He creates him as someone who reflects who God is. And I don't want to skip over this too quickly this morning. You, I want want you to know that you have been created in God's image. The person next to you this morning has been created in God's image. The person you love the most and the person you can stand the least are all created in God's image, which should profoundly shape how we see and interact with everyone. But God creates man, creates Adam. And we tend to think of this as the beginning of the story, don't we? We tend to think of this moment, these moments here in this creation story as the beginning of the story, but it's not. It's the beginning of our story, but it's not the beginning of the story. Because before all of that was created, there was just God. Well, what was God doing? And I don't know that we can say for sure, but God is made up of three people. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is what's known as the Trinity: three distinct persons making up one God. Now this gets confusing, I know, but God is made up of three people in perfect relationships. I, I brought a picture with us with me this morning um, to maybe maybe help us out with that. Uh, do we have that? We have that slide. Okay, so um, <laughs> um, uh, so it, I, on the handout that you received when you walked in, yeah, it's in there. So you can, you can look, at it, look at it there. But um, there are three people, and none of them are each other. Like the Father isn't the Son, and the Son isn't the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit isn't the Father. All right, there, there are three distinct people, but in perfect relationship, they make up one God. And they all have different roles to play. But I, I think there are three characteristics of this Trinity kind of relationship. Three kinds of characteristics that we see at play. Number one is that they, there, there's value there. They value each other. And, there's, and, and they're all in relationship for the benefit of the others. All, all the three of the Trinity are in it for the others. They're not in it for themselves. So there's no high maintenance member of the Trinity. It's not like there's two that are putting in all the work into the relationship while one constantly needs attention. This isn't a group project where one person does all the work and the other two pretend to do the work. No, they, they value each other and they're in it for each other. There's value that they place on each other. I think the second uh, characteristic is this. There's authenticity. They all know each other for who the other is. They don't have to pretend. They don't have to act like they're one thing when they're really another. They are who they are and they all know each other for who the other is. So there's no like, when, when they're texting each other, the members of Trinity, because that's what they do, um, there, there's no like, I got to get the right angle on my selfie to, to send the best version of myself. That doesn't exist. They don't need to impress each other. They know each other for who each other is. There's authenticity there. And then finally, there's trust. There's trust. They trust each other. Jesus doesn't feel the need to micromanage the Holy Spirit. The father doesn't go up to the son and say, hey, you're doing okay here, Jesus, but I would probably do it this way. They trust each other. And so there's value and authenticity and trust in this relationship between the father and son and Holy Spirit. The three of them are in perfect relationship. God is a relational God. And out of love that they experience in one another, they create. Because that's what love does. It creates good things. And God creates Adam out of this perfect relationship. Going on in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then skip down to to verse 15. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And then in verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a, a helper suitable for him. So God, cre- God has created Adam and he places him in the most beautiful place in the world. He has everything he could ever want or need, but God sees that he's alone. And what does he say? It's not what? Not good. God sees Adam alone and he says, this isn't good. And so what does God do? Starting in verse 19, it says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the wild animals, out of the ground, all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the name the man called each living creature, that was its name. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And so for this snapshot in time, everything is as it's supposed to be. They're living in a place surrounded by beauty. They feel no shame around each other. There's no relational distance between God and people, and there's no relational distance between Adam and Eve. Everything is as it's supposed to be. You ever have those moments? There are those moments in life where it's just like, just able to go, man, life is good right now. Um, a couple weeks ago, um, both my wife and I were in different places, but we weren't at home. And so I got home first, and all our kids were there. And um, I was, you know, just checking in with the kids, making sure everything was going okay. And and I'm, you know, talking to all the kids, but I can't find my eight-year-old, Emmett. Can't find him. I'm like calling out for him, looking everywhere, can't find him. Well, finally, I I look out on my back patio, and out there I see Emmett. And he's sitting in one of our patio chairs and he's got his feet propped up. This is like, you know, more in, into the summer. He's, he's sitting there with shorts on, no shirt and sunglasses. And in his lap is a bowl of like goldfish crackers. And in his left hand is a diet Coke. Because <laughs> that's what all eight-year-olds love, right? And so he's just sitting there eating the crackers and so finally, I open the door, and I, I look out, and I'm like, Emmett, what are you doing? And he turns his head, and he looks at me and lifts his sunglasses up, and he goes, Dad, I'm just out here living the good life. <laughs> <laughs> well, go on then, man. Like, don't let me interrupt your flow here, all right? But, but for that moment, for Emmett, like, everything was as it should be. Life was Good. But for Adam and Eve, it wasn't just a moment. It was just, it was life as they experienced it all the time. Everything was as it should be. But we know that the story goes on and it doesn't stay that way forever. And starting in verse, in chapter three, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Innocence is lost in this moment. Adam and Eve's eyes have been opened. They're living in a whole new world now. And look at how quickly, as a result of one decision, one moment, look at how quickly things fall apart and look at the lies that Adam and Eve believe. Check this out. In verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So they they cover themselves. They, 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 all of a sudden, in between Adam and Eve, they feel shame. And and so they do what what we do today. Like, we wear clothes, and that's good. We should keep doing that. But... They, they, they do what, what we do today, which is, I can't let people see me for who I really am. Because if they see me for who I really am, they won't love me. Adam and Eve experienced that. And then it goes on in verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hide. For the first time, they feel like they can't let God see them for who they really are. Because if God sees us for who we really are, he won't be able to love us. And then it just continues to spiral. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. For the first time, they're afraid. They've tried to control what they can't control. And so they experience fear and worry and anxiety. And then in verse 11 and 12, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, this is really good. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Now all of a sudden they blame. They go from I'm in this for you to I'm in this for me and I will throw you under the bus if I have to, to protect myself. So we've gone from God. Who is three perfect, three people in perfect relationship and creating people out of that love, to Adam and Eve experiencing that and living in it, to everything falling apart. And there's distance now between God and Adam and Eve, and there's distance between Adam and Eve themselves. And the two of them in that moment found out what all of us already know, that relationships are hard. They're difficult. It's difficult to let people in. It's difficult to let people see who you really are. It's difficult to put the needs of others ahead of yourself when the reality is that person might take advantage of that. It's difficult to put yourself out there. It's difficult to trust It's difficult to experience shame when we should experience love. Relationships are hard and we're not naturally very good at them. So a lot of times our approach to relationships is we want people to be far enough away that they can't see who we really are and so we can't really get hurt, but close enough that we're not lonely. But when we take that approach, we miss out on so much because we've been created out of relationship for relationship not surface level, only show people what we want them to see kinds of relationships, but relationships that the Trinity experience, experience. Relationships where everyone values the others. Relationships where there's no reason to hide. Relationships where there's trust. So how do we get there? I mean, let's, let's just be honest. As we list those, those characteristics of those relationships. How many of our relationships are like that? If you're doing really well, maybe a handful. More likely uh, one or two. Or if you're being really honest this morning, maybe you would even say like the ones that should be like that aren't even like that. So how do we get there? How do we have friendships like this? Whether that's a spouse or someone in your family or someone that's a friend, how do we get to the place where our relationships look like that? And I don't have a magic wand this morning where I wave it and I give you three quick thoughts and all of your relationships are perfect. One, because no relationships are perfect. But two, because healthy relationships are a lot of hard work over a long period of time and you have to work towards them. One of my favorite memes on the internet, do we have this one? I hope so. This is, this is so good. I don't think we do. All right. But there's this meme where Jesus is standing around the disciples and at the bottom of the meme, it says, um, no one talks about Jesus' greatest miracle. Do we have that? Yeah. The biggest miracle Jesus ever pulled was, pulled off was having 12 close friends in his 30s. And it's funny because it's true, right? These relationships, friendships are hard. They take a lot of work over a long period of time. We're not going to snap our fingers and make everything fall into place this morning. But I do want to offer just a few thoughts that I think get us on the road to having friendships that point us to the one that we've been created to know and to become the kind of people we've been created to be. And so the first thought is this. If you're struggling to be authentic, you need to recognize how much you're loved. All of us at some level struggle with feeling like we need to keep people at arm's length. Because we all struggle with the same thing that Adam and Eve struggle. I need to hide. Because if people see who I really am, they'll check out. They'll be done. They won't be able to love me. And the reality is, for some people, that might be true. But what's also true is that you'll find others that will see you for who you are, all the good, all the bad, all the ugly, and they will love you anyway. And when you find those people, you will be reminded of the one who loves you perfectly. Because God sees everything about us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He saw Adam and Eve in the garden after they had screwed up so badly. He sees us in our absolute worst moments. He sees us at our lowest points. And even though he sees us in those places, he loves us in spite of that. He loves us so much, in fact, that he thinks you and I are worth dying for. Romans 5.8 says that, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At your very worst, when the lines were drawn and God was over on this side and you chose this side, God still laid down his life for you. And when you find friendships with people who love you unconditionally... They will be a living, breathing example of just how great God's perfect love is for you. You are loved by God the same in your best moments and in your worst. And nothing is going to change that. So there's no reason to hide. Now, I know that all of this is complicated by past hurt. We've all been hurt to different degrees in the the past within relationships, particularly when we've shown people who we really are. And the natural response to that is to push people, to put people away and to keep people at arm's length. But in doing that, we miss out on so much. It's always a risk when you open yourself up to someone. There's always a chance that you could end up getting hurt. But it's a risk worth taking. Because it's the only way to experience what we've been created for. If you're struggling to be authentic, you need to recognize how much you're loved. Second thought is this. You have to shift your focus from what can I get to what can I give. When we enter into something, we, we naturally want to know what's in it for us. When it, when it comes to other people, we, we really, uh, we, we wouldn't say this and, and we would try to cloak it in we're in this for them, but uh, kind of at, at a base level, we all want to know what's in it for me in this relationship. How can I, how can I, manage this relationship so that I get something good out of it. Um, another one of my sons, uh, Hudson, um, he's, he's 11. And I noticed uh, a few weeks ago that he was being really helpful around the house. Like just going out of his way to like pick things up and, and make things look good. And like the dog needed to go out. Nobody had to ask him. He just went and took the dog out, fed the dog. Um, was just doing all these kinds of nice things. So at a certain point, it was like, there's something going on here. This isn't normal. And so I'm like, Hudson, what are you, what's going on? What are you doing? What's your angle here? And he's like, Dad, what are you talking about? I'm like, and so I just name off all the things that I've been seeing him doing. And he, he looks at me, he goes, Dad, can't a son do something nice for his father? <laughs> and I'm like, No. No, he can't. And so finally he fesses up that there's a new video game coming out. And it's still a long way off from, his, from Christmas and from his birthday. And so he, he said, Dad, I just thought maybe if, if I was really good and did a lot of really good things for you that, that maybe I could pay for half and you could pay for half. And I'm like, not a chance. No, you want to talk about some ways that you can earn the money okay, we can come up with a plan, but Hudson came into this thing. He played it off as I'm doing all these things for mom and dad, but he was really in it for who? Himself, right? And this is how we all kind of naturally enter into relationships. What's in it for me? But relationships don't work well like that. Friendships that are built, built on both people looking out for themselves lead to frustration, because the other person will always let you down. But if both people can enter into the relationship for the sake of the other person, both people's needs are met. Healthy relationships are built on both people looking out for the other. So we have to change our focus from what can I get to what can I give. Third thought is this, make time for what matters most. Life is busy. I think Pastor Steve said a couple weeks ago when he started off the series, we live in the busiest time in the history of the world. And he's right. Life is busy. And our lives can easily become consumed with so many things. And if we're not careful, the things that consume us tend to push out the things that matter most. Because the truth is, you haven't been created to be successful or to be popular, or to be entertained, or to achieve. You've been created to be loved by God and to love Him and others in return. That is your first and most basic need and your primary purpose. And we have to create meaningful time for that to take place. And yes, life is busy, but we make time for the things we value most. My most, excuse, my most used excuse for not doing things that I'm asked to do is I can't, I'm busy. So someone asks me to do something that I don't really want to do. And so what do I tell them? I'm busy, which is true. It's not a lie. I, I have a lot on my plate. But if somebody asks me to do something that I do want to do, all of a sudden I make a way to make it happen. One thing that, that, I, don't, that I make time for is lunch. <laughs> you don't get a body like this by skipping lunch, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so if someone, you know, calls me up or texts me or, or you know, gets a hold of me and says, hey, let's do lunch or let's do coffee sometime, I, I will rearrange my schedule to make that happen. And it's not just about the food. I mean, that, that is the important part. But it's about taking time to have relationship with people, to have conversations that are uninterrupted. To have conversations that matter. And we've got to take time for relationships, for friendships, because it's what we're created out of and it's what we're created for. And the last thought is this, this morning. People are lonely. Invite them in. There's a loneliness epidemic in our country. Statistics showed, you know, depending on what study you look at, somewhere around 33% of people in the U.S. experience loneliness on a regular or daily basis. Like they would identify themselves as being lonely. Life is lonely. A third of the people in our country feel that way. Among the, among, uh, the younger generation, like high school up and through college... It's even more dire. Somewhere around 60% of young people would say that they are chronically lonely. People who are surrounded by other people almost all the time say that they're lonely. 40% of Americans say they don't have a best friend. So when, when, when things get tough and when it all kind of lays out in front of you and you need someone to go to, 40% of people in our country say, I don't know who that would be. People are lonely. We live in a world of people who are crying out for the kind of relationships that God offers So my challenge for all of us is to invite people into those kinds of relationships. Find someone in your orbit, find someone in your world who's crying out for a real relationship and invite them into that. Now your first reaction might be, Andrew, I'd love to, but I'm hesitant because of the last thing we just talked about, I'm busy. I don't have time to invest in another relationship. And it's true, this won't be convenient. But following Jesus has never been about convenience. It's about faithfulness. Friendships take effort. But this is what we're called to do. We're called to find people in need, relationally or otherwise, and offer to them what God offers us. And you might not be able to do it for everyone, but you can do it for one. People are lonely. Invite them in. We've been created out of friendship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Friendship matters. It's a spiritual need. And so God in three persons invites us into relationship, into friendship with him. And my prayer for all of us today is that we would experience that friendship with him and that we would invite others to do the same. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you call us your friends, that your love for us is perfect and it's unconditional, and that no matter where we are, God, your love for us chases us. And it brings us back into relationship with you. And so God, help us to recognize the need for the kind of relationships, for the kind of friendships that that we've been created out of and we've been created for. God, give us the, the courage it's hard to trust. Give us compassion when we see someone who needs those kinds of relationships. God, may you use our friendships, may you use our relationships to point us back to you and how great your love is for us. God, we love you, and we thank you so much for who you are and for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it has been so good uh, to be here with you this morning, and um, thank you. I appreciate it. Have a good week.
0: Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you wanna learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.